Turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can find our passage in the Pew Bible in the Pew Rack in front of you on page 531. Page 531. And we're in a series that we've entitled Rhythm. And uh, we've been wanting to learn how to find uh, the rhythm of uh, our walk with God and our walk with Christ. And and not simply seeking out a life of mediocrity, but a life that is dynamic, that God has invited us into this abundant and vibrant walk with Him. And we've been addressing some of these issues of rhythm when it comes to our time and parenting, uh, with our generosity, and last week with Mark Krause's help with prayer. And uh, while each of these are important, I, as I was thinking through what I might share uh, some weeks ago, I, I came across one element of rhythm that we need to find, and that is with regards to our fight with sin. We need to know how to fight against temptation and sin, but it's going to involve a rhythm. It's going to involve a strategy, and I want to talk about that uh, this morning. Some uh, months ago, I, I took my three boys on a journey, a journey that would take us from the heights of excitement to uh, at times, uh, hearts of sorrow and pain. We enjoyed uh, a two, over a two-day period bonding as a family, uh, as boys of the Badal family, where a whole set of emotions flooded us during our journey. We laughed, we cried at times, and most of all, we stood in awe of what was taking place before us. It was a great time, as I said, of bonding for the family. Um, if you want to know what we did, we did a two-day Rocky Marathon, a movie marathon. And many of you, <clears throat> some of you have been on that journey before, but many, many probably don't have a clue of what I'm talking about. But as I was showing my boys movies that I'd grown to love, many of you know, of course, the story of Rocky and and if you remember the series in the Rocky movies, in Rocky Three, Rocky has won the championship. He is at the pinnacle of his career. He is uh, enjoying all of the, the joys of success. And he's enjoying them with a full heart. He's embracing all of the comfortability and all of the fun and fanfare that comes with being a heavyweight champion. And while his trainer tells him he needs to be ready for the next fight, he becomes lazy. He becomes complacent, and his trainer becomes more and more upset as a result of that. And he says, there's an opponent coming. You don't know his name. You don't know where he's going to come from, but he's gunning for you. Your enemy and your opponent is training harder than you are. He's preparing for the one opportunity that he's going to get to rip you to shreds. And if you know the story, Mr. T, Clubber Lang, is the guy that's coming that's... that's uh, got his uh, bullseye on Rocky, and he whoops Rocky good. And through the course of events, Rocky loses, of course, his longtime trainer. And it's after he loses his title belt that his old friend, his old opponent as well, Apollo Creed, comes. And there's a line in the movie where he says, Rocky, your strategy isn't working anymore. You need to find a rhythm. You need to find the ability to go dig deep down inside and be able to beat the opponent that's before you. But to do it, your strategy has to change. Well, there are some of you this morning that find yourself in maybe one of two places. Maybe today you're living in a time of success. Things are going well, and you, like our friend Rocky Balboa in the movies, find yourself complacent. You find yourself soaking up all the fun, all the fanfare of things going well. But I want to remind you there's an opponent out there 
Our passage this morning is going to talk about the opponent being sin. And if we are not prepared, if we are not ready, if we don't have that rhythm in God's Word, and that rhythm in our life of Christ, we need to recognize that that opponent is training and preparing for the one opportunity that that sin is going to have to wreak havoc in your life. And we need to be ready for it. And there's some of us right now who find yourself already losing to that opponent. You feel everywhere you turn, that temptation, that sin that has befallen you over and over and over again, you find right on your doorstep again, and you don't know how to find victory. Our passage this morning is going to give us a a play-by-play analysis on how we can have the right strategy, how we can have the right rhythm to be able to fight sin and all that it involves. Now, a lot of churches, quite frankly, don't like sermons like this. We read strategists who say, don't talk about sin. Sin isn't something you should talk about because it disappoints people. It discourages people. Don't talk about, and they don't even call it sin anymore, don't talk about their failures or their mistakes. But the problem is, if we're going to teach the Word of God, we have to recognize that when we open this book, the Bible, over a thousand times in its pages, the word sin or disobedience comes out. Do you think God wants us to hear about sin? You bet it. You betcha. He wants us to know that sin can create so many difficulties in our lives, and we are told that the wage of sin is death, and that all of us have have fallen to sin and fall short of God's glory. So how does the child of God find victory in this world of sin, in this world of temptation? How do we begin uh, to do that? Well, we need to understand a couple things about sin. We need to understand, first of all, what are the things that God says are sin? In the book of Galatians, let me just read some of these for you. In Galatians, Paul says that the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. They're not subtle, they're obvious, he says. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and he says, and the like. I I haven't even named them all, but there's other ones that are just like them. In Colossians 3, he doesn't say, hey, just try not to do them too much. Try to, you know, just socially be a sinner, but don't, don't let it become a fabric of your life. No, in Colossians, Paul says, you got to put these things to death. You can't play around with them. You've got to kill them. You've got to hate the very essence of them. And he says, you put to death, therefore, in Colossians 3, 5 through 10, whatever belongs to your sinful nature. And he goes on and he says again, immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, he says, the wrath of God is coming. You see, what we need to understand is the reason why we need to know about sin and our struggle with sin is because we've got a holy God who is reigning supreme in the universe. And as a result of that, God will not stand idly by in his holiness, allowing his creation to sin without any kind of impunity coming our way. He says the wrath of God is coming because of sin. He says you used to walk these ways, Christians, in the life you once lived. But now rid yourselves of all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices, that was the old way you did things, Paul says, and now you're being renewed into the image of the Creator. And so God wants us to know 
that whatever sin we're dealing with, and can I tell you something? That list is not exhaustive, but of that list, I can assure you, it may be more in the first service than this service, but it was representative in the first service, every one of those. We are a big enough of a, of a group of people that I have no thought in my mind that one of us doesn't deal with one of these things. And let me tell you, we all deal with at least one or two of them. We've all got issues and struggles. And the person sitting next to you may deal uh, with this war on a completely different front. But all of us are fighting the war with sin. But what does sin do? What is, what's so bad about sin that makes God so angry. John Piper helps us out with this, and he says this with regards to what is sin. Let's go ahead and look. What is sin? It's the glory of God not being honored. It's the holiness of God not being reverenced. The greatness of God not being admired. The power of God not being praised. The truth of God not being sought. The wisdom of God not being esteemed. The beauty of God not being treasured. His goodness not being savored. The faithfulness of God not being trusted. The commandments of God not being obeyed. The justice of God not respected. The wrath of God not being feared. The grace of God not being cherished. The presence of God not being prized. And the person of God not being loved. That is sin. You see, when we sin, you think, well, I'm the only one that knows that I'm doing it. Or it's just a little thing. Really, it's not that bad. God says it is an absolute affront to me. I hate it. It can't be in my presence. And I want something different for my people. Well, the text that we have before us can't get any more clearer on that subject matter than what we've got before us this morning. And so let us stand. I'm just going to read a couple of the verses. We're going to go through the whole chapter, but we're going to just read a couple of the verses and ask God's blessing on our time and jump right into the text. Here's the beginning passage. My son, keep my words. Treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend. Let's pray. Father God, we come before a very transparent passage of Scripture that I know gripped the hearts of the listeners in the first service. This is, this is some hard truths, Lord. Truths as sinners that we need to be reminded of. But Lord, I am so thankful for your grace. So thankful for your love and your mercy. But Lord, we cannot sin so that your grace may abound. Lord, we need to deal with this if we want to be your children. And so Lord, help us through your word to enlighten our hearts how to deal with our sin, how to stay away from the things that keep us from a right walk with you. Lord, show us in and of ourselves what causes us to gravitate to the things that we do. And Lord, let us rely on you and be empowered by you to say no to unrighteousness and worldly lust so that we may honor you in all that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We are out of rhythm. When we are in our fight with sin, when we do nine things, nine, you got it right, nine things, here's the joy that you have. In the second service, at least you know the first service got out at some point. Okay? So we only got through three of them, so we'll try to get through all nine in the second service. No, 
the first nine that we have to deal with is that we're out of rhythm in our fight with sin, number one, when we dismiss God's Word. When we dismiss God's Word. Notice verses 1 through 4 again. My son, keep my commands and treasure up the commandments, uh, my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye, so bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart, say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. Now let's stop there for a second. One of the chief reasons that you and I, and we're going to see nine of them, why we fall to sin, why we say yes to sin and no to obedience, number one is because we do not take God's word seriously. We do not take it seriously. Now, this dismissal of God's Word is going to involve four failures. The first failure is our failure to retain it. Look at the the words in these opening verses. He wants you to keep and store His commands. In verse 2, to keep and guard. In verse 3, bind them and write them on your heart. In verse 4, say and call... Wisdom, your intimate friend and kinsman. These words are not suggestions, they are commands. If you want to get through your life of temptations and find victory in it, brothers and sisters, then these things must be aggressive approaches to our life in this world of sin. So what he's saying is, is you got to keep and you got to store these things because your life depends on it. You've got to guard your life because the enemy, the devil, and sin is going to try to take it. You've got to bind and write God's Word in your heart so that you will know when to turn from ungodliness and sin. You need to call, and the essence is, is to bring about a, an illicit change, to call something into your presence while calling something out. So as we push away sin, we're calling in God's Word to the rescue. You see, if you and I want to fight the role, the role of sin in our lives, we've got to, first of all, retain God's Word. Write this passage down. I'll give you a lot of passages, but for the sake of time, I'll just read them. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can Tim keep his way pure? How can Village Bible Church keep their way pure? By living according to your word. We will seek you with all our hearts, for we will not be led astray from your commands. For we have hidden your word in our hearts, so that I may not sin against you. You see, God's word is the recommended prescription for dealing with sin. When we have God's Word in our lives, when we retain it and store it up, we're ready for whatever disaster may befall us. Some of you are too young, but some of you are old enough to remember the the fall of 1999. Seems like just yesterday, but if you remember, the talk in 1999 was the big scare Y2K, remember? And in Y2K, there was all kinds of news reports, all kinds of books that were written. Now, I've got to stop because a lot of you don't even know what Y2K was. So let me rewind here. In 1999, there was concern that in our automated and computer generation, when the computers saw the year 2000, they would see uh, zero, 00 come up, and I'm giving you a short answer, that would cause the computers to shut down. 
They were worried airplanes might fall out of the sky. They were worried about uh, the stock markets crashing. And there was this concern that the world as we know it was going to experience some real disaster. And so what was the wisdom of the day? Be ready. And so you would see people would be storing up all kinds of food and water ready for this impending disaster that was going to come. Now here's the thing. While Y2K was just simply a scare, everything went off without a hitch. We know the Bible is clear that disasters are all around us. That impending, the impending uh, attack of the enemy can happen at any time. And so we need to be ready for that. And we need to store up God's Word and retain it, ready to use it at a moment's notice so that we can say no to temptation. That's why Paul tells the church in Colossae, in Colossians 3, 16, to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That we are fully satisfied with the word of God, and it is feeding us, and it is preparing us, and it's readying us for the day of attack that will come. Now notice, secondly, we see this dismissal comes when we fail to respect it. Verse 2, he says he wants you to guard the truth. Keep the commandments and live, he says. Keep the teaching as the apple of your eye. The idea there is that it is a prized possession. You know, when we talk about the apple of our eye, we talk about our children, right? They're the apple of our eye. And we do all that we can to make sure that we are uh, taking care of the children that are under our care, that we're nurturing them and we're involved with them and we're making sure that it is a protected uh, quality in our lives. God's Word needs to be the same thing. We need to be people who respect God's Word to the point that we are retaining it and guarding it, knowing that it is a prized possession that we don't want to give up. Now notice he goes on and he says, you fail in your fight against sin when you fail to review the Scriptures He says, bind them on your fingers in verse 3. Write them on the tablet of your heart. You and I can remain pure when we are constantly reminding ourselves of what God's Word says. Write this passage down, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. How do we live that life? How do we pursue that kind of life? How do we make sure that we don't go down that downward spiral towards sin? Verse 2 tells us, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates on it day and night. That word meditates literally means to ruminate. We get the idea or the picture of a a cow chewing his cud. That's a lot of C's in there. A cow chewing his cud. And what a cow does, if you know, is he'll eat something, swallow it, regurgitate it, chew on it some more, swallow it again, chew it a little more until it's fully digested. Now, that's gross for a Sunday morning, but it's a perfect picture of what God's Word is to be doing in our lives. We consume God's Word, and we don't just eat it and forget about it, but we bring it back up, we chew on it some more, and then we let it kind of go back down and digest for a while. We bring it back up, and we are making sure we're reviewing this thing. Notice it is being reviewed day and night. This is something that's going on. It's a perpetual thing in our lives because if we don't do this, sin will find our weak spot and it'll wreak havoc in our lives. Now notice the final thing is that we fail in our dismissal of God's Word because we fail to have a relationship with it or to respond to it. We need to have a relationship with God's Word. Notice, say to wisdom, 
You are my sister, the NIV says. Notice in the ESV it says uh, there that uh, you are my sister and call insight your intimate friend. The NIV says your kinsman. What it means is you've got a relationship. You are close and intimate with the Word of God. You know it. I know my family. I have a, a family that I am intimate with. I know them. I know their, their comings and their goings. I know them, their names and what they like and all of that. I know that because they're important to me and because I love them. And God's Word needs to be something that we know, not just with our heads, but with our hearts as well. We need to have a relationship with it. Now, this familiarity with God's Word should not just be for a short time, but it should go on for a lifetime. That we don't just have what we learned in Sunday school or Awana of what we know of the Scriptures, but that we're learning it each and every day. You see, one of the biggest reasons why many of us fall to sin is because many of you are content with listening to me preach, and that's it. You see, you're okay with me having a relationship with the Word, but you don't. And here's the problem. When sin comes your way, guess who's not going to be there? Here's why. Just before you think that I'm all okay, I'm dealing with my own stuff. The devil's got me busy dealing with my own stuff, so I can't come and say, oh, by the way, Make sure you bind this on your heart. Make sure you do this. I do it on a Sunday morning, but we go out into the world and we're on our own trying to do this. And so you can't be content with letting someone else teach you the Word or to meditate on it. You can't live off of your wife or your husband or your parents to take care of your temptations. You yourself have to be in God's Word, soaking up its truth to be able to fight against sin. Now notice, that's my longest point, so don't be nervous. Notice the second thing that we see. When we fail to, when we dismiss God's word, we open ourselves up to real opportunities of attack. But notice the text continues to go on. The reason why we are not in rhythm with regards to our fight with sin is because we distance ourselves from godly wisdom. We distance ourselves from godly wisdom. Now notice, he has told this young man to hold on to wisdom, to hold on to truth. Now he's going to give a word picture or an example of why it is so important to do so. And it gets incredibly graphic. Notice what he says. For at the window of my house, I have looked through my lattice, and I've seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Let's just stop there for a moment. The NIV, it says, though, a youth who lacked judgment. For many of us, we fall to sin because our hearts allow words to come out of our mouths like the following. It will never happen to me, or I don't struggle that way. We distance ourselves. We see, you see this young man is lacking judgment. The picture here is that he's just meandering through life, not thinking through what may befall him. One of the greatest tools that we have as Christians in our fight against sin is to look at the effects that sin has in the lives of people and to see the impact and ask questions. You know, one of the ways that I read Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, is when I'm reading stories where you're seeing a man's obedience or disobedience, I ask the question, what caused them to fall or what caused them to obey? 
What were they doing that led them to sin? Or what good things were leading them to obedience? Why didn't so-and-so stop? Why didn't he have someone speaking into his life? Why didn't she have someone speaking into her life that would have kept them from that sin? And then look at the sheer consequences and trouble that comes as a result of it. You see, we've got the Old Testament stories. They were given, the New Testament tells us, as examples of what obedience and disobedience were all about. You and I must have our eyes open to see the kind of trouble that sin causes. You see, that's why an elder cannot be a new convert if he's going to lead the church. Because he must understand not only the temptation of sin, but he must also understand that sin is something that may look glamorous for a moment, but in the end leads to punishment and pain. You see, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs twenty four thirty two, reminds us of this truth. I've applied my heart to what I observed And I learned a lesson from what I've seen. Have you seen people struggle and fall to sin? What have you learned from it? What truths have you grown as a result of watching that? Have you seen how sin ruins families? How it destroys marriages? How it uh, devastates churches? Have you seen how sin allows people to miss out on opportunities? I mean, there are too numerous the stories of godly men and women falling from grace. And our desire should be, as we watch that, is to make mental notes about what we need to see so that we don't do the same. Notice the next reason, as the proverb continues to go on, the reason why we fall to sin is because we fail to devise a plan. What's the plan for? A plan of escape. Notice in the text it says this man lacked judgment. Notice it tells us in the text, as we continue on here, he lacks sense, he lacks judgment in verse 8, passing along the street. The idea here is he's just kind of going through life. He's not putting any kind of uh, parameters in his life, any kind of guardrails, and he's just kind of heading into trouble. He has no regard for what the day is going to bring him. He has no stakes in the ground, no safety nets that will keep him from it. There was an old-time show as a kid I used to watch called Lost in Space. And it was a story of a family that uh, somehow, I forget how it happened, but they're on some uh, distant uh, planet and trying to find a way back home. And a part of their family is a nine-year-old boy named Will Robinson. Remember Will Robinson? And his faithful companion was the robot. And when Will, nine years old, precocious little kid, when he would find himself getting into trouble and not knowing it, the robot would go berserk. He would begin to shake and his arms would begin, and what would he say? Danger, danger, Will Robinson. You guys got it. Okay? This guy didn't have a robot near him. This guy didn't have anybody speaking into his life saying, danger, danger, kid, where you're going is no good. It's going to cost you your life. And you and I need to build those types of parameters in our lives that we have a plan of escape. When these things come. You see, sin was going to drag him wherever it wanted to take him. And he had no thought of what he was going to do when temptation comes. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are you ready? You see, we prepare our kids for it. 
Hey, in the case of a fire, we need you to do this. Hey, before you cross the street, look both ways. Hey, if, if a stranger opens up their door and says, want to give you a ride and, and share some candy or, or has some exciting news to share with you, you run away. Why do we do that? Because we know in this world, there's a whole lot of crazy stuff going on. And kids need to be aware of it. And so we help them devise a plan of attack, but we don't do it as adults. So let me ask you this question. What are you going to do when that garbage gets on your computer screen or your TV? What are you going to do? What's your plan of escape? What's your response going to be when that good-looking guy makes an advance on you? What are you going to do when you hear the most uh, um, sensational words of gossip in the workplace or in the neighborhood? What's your plan going to be to say no to that? What are you going to do when your anger boils over and you feel a righteous indignation to do whatever you want because you're angry and you're going to get a pound of flesh? What are you going to do tomorrow morning when you find out your rival got the promotion? What are you going to do when sin comes knocking at your door? If you and I don't have a plan of attack to fight against sin and temptation, we will fall. I was reading in a a magazine not too long ago where it was chiding us as airplane travelers to listen to the safety um, stuff that the airline attendants uh, give. And what they did is they ran through a set of tests where the airline attendants would go through the whole spiel of how to do seat belts and where to get your oxygen and where to go. And then they would have mock disasters. And they said only less than 10%, I think it was 8.5% of the people actually did what they were told to do. Here's why. When we're not prepared, when the emergency comes, we'll be running for our lives in chaos, not knowing what to do. Proverbs, the Word of God says, we need to have a plan of attack. Temptation is coming this week. Are you ready? And what are you going to do? Notice, number four. We will fall to sin when we live daring lives. What I mean by that is seen in the text. Notice in verses 8 and 9, this young man who lacks judgment, who's not listening to the words of a godly man who's older than him, what does he do? He passes along the street near this woman's corner. Who is this woman? You're going to see this woman that is going to lurk around the corner is sin personified. The proverb writer calls her the adulteress, the promiscuous one. And yet this is sin. And so here, as you hear this phrase, woman, put your sin in there. Whatever it's lying or lust, greed, or or whatever it may be, a sin of the mouth, a sin of the mind, whatever it is, put your sin in place of this woman. Passing along your sin's street. Around Greed's Corner, it says in verse 8, taking the road to her house in twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. So we hear and we see this guy. This guy is doing what my parents used to say, and that is he's cruising for a bruising. He doesn't even know it, but he's playing games, and the game he's playing is Russian roulette with his life. So what is this guy doing? Notice he's going down the street. Why is he going down the street? Because there's nothing better to do. 
He's walking towards her house. Why is he doing that? Maybe just to dabble a little bit, see what's going on. Why? When is he doing it? He's doing it at twilight. We'll talk about that in a moment. This guy is playing a life of dares. What he's doing is saying, how far can I go before I'm out of control? How close can I get to the edge and still have my life as I want it? You see, I know what this is. The life of dares is asking the question, how far can I go before I lose control? And I used to do that so often as a teenager. I loved to be dared to do things. There was some warped curiosity that I had knowing that people might think I was cool because I would say yes to things. And so anybody who would be willing to dare me to do something, I would do. And one of the most daring things I ever did was as a freshman in high school, a senior came to me and and in, in high school, you know, the daring, the daring things always get the hype. You know, you do something cool, something that nobody else will do, and people will think you're pretty popular, as I thought. And so a senior had told me back in the day, one of the cool things to do, one of the cool things to do was to get on the top of a car while it was driving and to sur- pretend you're surfing on the car. And so I thought, yeah, that would be kind of cool. The school was getting out. Everybody was watching. And they would think, man, look at Tim. He's doing this daring thing. And so I thought, you know what? Why not do it? Let me tell you something, just a real quick truth. Don't ever do something a senior in high school tells you to do when you're a freshman. They're not looking out for your best interests, okay? And so I get on there, and I'm pretty excited. Everybody's going to see me. And I'm sitting there, and I'm standing on the car, and I'm, I'm enjoying a nice little journey on the top of the hood of the car. And then the guy behind the wheel starts driving a little faster and a little faster. And I go from feeling like, wow, this is great. Look, everybody's watching. They must think, how cool is Tim? To start worrying. And then I remember losing my balance and falling to the hood of the car. And now I'm looking at the two, and I say this with all love and sincerity, idiot seniors that are driving the car, and they're laughing. And at that point, I'm not laughing. I'm in tears. I'm scared to death. What went from me technically thinking I was in control, I was completely out of control. I'm holding on to the hood of the car right by where the windshield wipers are at, and I'm pleading with them, stop the car, stop the car. To which the idiot's laughing in the car says, okay, and he hits the brakes. My hands go off the car. I get thrown from the car. My first thought is put my arms behind the car, and that's going to help you a whole lot. Broke both my arms. Freshman year, I didn't get to be a part of anything. You can't do anything with two broken arms. And here's the thing. I got notoriety. Every day I walk through school, there's the dummy. He was on the top of the car, and look what happened to him. Nobody remembered the cool Tim standing on top of the car. Nobody remembered that. And here, this is a story, by the way. Any young people in here, don't do that. It is not worth it, okay? talk, Talk about stupidity. Here's what I learned. I was in control for a moment. But at a moment that I didn't get to choose, I was out of control. And some of you right now are playing that game that I did with my body. You're playing it in the sin game where you're dabbling with sin and you're saying, I'm in control. I've got everything under control. I can deal with it. It's only a weekend thing. It's only the soft stuff. It's not really bothering anybody else. I can dabble with this stuff. And let me tell you, the moment that I went from exhilaration to absolute fear and trepidation was in a split second. 
And you know what I learned? I wasn't in control, and the only person that was laughing was the guy safely in the car. The only one laughing right now with your dabbling with sin is the devil. He's sitting there with glee in his heart. Wow, this guy doesn't know what's about to hit him. We need to understand that we, when we play a life of dares, when we hang around the wrong stuff, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, is a recipe for disaster. It starts out as a rush, but it then leads to you breaking things that you never thought. So you're dabbling. Whether it's lust or substances, anger or envy, you think you're in control, you think you have willpower, but let me tell you, you are in trouble and you just don't know it. Notice that we see some truths of this. Write these passages down. Proverbs six twenty-seven and 28. Proverbs six twenty-seven and 28. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? What's the answer? Nope, can't do it. Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? Nope, you can't do that either. Can a man play around with sin and not have disaster come? He can't. Disaster will come. Now notice, why does this guy think he can do it? It's another reason why we are out of rhythm with our fight in sin is because we're deceived by the darkness. We're deceived by the darkness. Notice verse 9, at twilight as the night, day was fading, as the night set in. You see, the man fell to sin when dark was coming, when sin came knocking at his door, and he thought, well, I could get away with it because it's dark. Everybody's sleeping. Everybody is, is, is away for the night. No one is looking. No one will ever know. Little did he know someone was watching and someone was recording every step that he made. Notice, write this passage down, Job 24. Job 24, 13 through 15, tells us about the night and the trouble that can come. There are those who rebel against the light, who do not know its ways or stay in its paths. When daylight is gone, the murderer rises up and kills the poor and needy. In the night he steals forth like a thief. The eye of the adulterer watches for dusk. He thinks, no eye will see me. And he keeps his face concealed. Years ago, before we could stream everything on television, I used to go to a local gas station where my work is at, and I would rent videos. And I remember one day as I was renting a video that uh, the lady behind the counter said, hey, I'm just really appreciative of the videos you rent. And I says, what do you mean? She says, I've been attending your church. I haven't met you yet, but you may not know this, but I've been coming to your first service. And she says, I'm sure glad the guy that's preaching me isn't buying wrong videos. And I said, I am too. Okay? And here's what she said. But sadly, I know a lot of Christians who think that I don't know, that no one's going to know what they're renting. And they're not renting good stuff. Here's the thing, guys. We can't get away, guys and girls. We can't get away with anything. You say, well, I'm in a different town. I'm traveling. Nobody will ever know. The hotel says nobody will know the title of the picture that I, I rented. Nobody will ever know I'm concealed. Here's the thing. When a tree falls in uh, the forest and nobody's around, does it make a sound? Yeah, you want to know why? Because God's there. 
God saw it fall. God heard it fall. And if you think that you're by yourself, you think you can get away with it, if we think we can have that happen, God says, I am there. I'm there. I'm watching. And, and my heart is breaking as you're choosing that sin over me. You see, he thought he was safe. He thought nobody was around. He thought he could do it because he was shrouded in darkness. And God says, you can't do that. You see, some of us think that we've gotten away with stuff. Oh, nobody found out. Can I tell you one of my biggest, I don't have fears. I don't live with fears. But one thing I am afraid of is that the sins of my youth will come back to revisit me. And even greater than that, as I grow older with three sons, is that they may fall into the same garbage as I did. And I pray over my kids. I pray hard over them because I don't want them to get into sucked into the same stuff that I did. I want them to turn away from that stuff. I want them to be able to, to, be able to, to run away from temptation and that. But how do we do that? How do we teach our kids that? By showing them how we run away from temptation how we deal with it. And moms and dads, you don't need to sit there with an authority figure over them and saying, oh, how dare you deal with this and how dare you deal with them. Love them and walk with them through this fight of sin. You see, because the biggest reason we need to do that is because the scripture says God is not going to be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You sow to sin, you're going to reap those things. And my prayer is that God in his mercy would say, he gets it. He doesn't need any more illustrations. He doesn't need any more truths. He gets it. And that's why we need to teach our children. We need to teach ourselves Proverbs 10.9. Proverbs 10.9 says, The man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. So maybe this morning you came into church and you've got a secret sin nobody knows about. You've hidden it so well. You've covered your tracks and you're confident that no one will know. Let me burst your bubble this morning. God knows it. He knows it. And he says, you're not going to get away with it. There's always a consequence to our actions. God sees where we go. He knows what we're doing. He knows our thoughts. You say, well, I'm not doing it in, 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 with my body. He knows our thoughts. And he will not let us go on our merry way without addressing this issue as a father addresses discipline with his sons. He's going to get our attention one way or the other. i got to get moving here, so let's just keep going. We fail. We fail when we do not defend against temptation. Notice this woman comes out in verse 10. It says she comes out to meet him dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. Notice parenthetically in verse 11, she's loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now she's in the street. Now she's in the square. She lurks at every corner. Here this man thinks he's okay. He's in the blanket of night. He's secure and the woman finds him. The phrase there, then out came, or as the ESV says, behold, is one of surprise. Before he's even thinking about it, he's startled by the woman of sin. How true is that for us? On a random Tuesday, that sin comes out. We never saw it coming. And notice what it says. Sin will always come dressed to kill. Sin is always lurking around every corner. And sin has one objective in mind, to take hold 
of us. And it shows itself in temptation. So many of you are saying this morning, you're saying proudly, well, I don't have to worry about that because I don't struggle with that sin. I don't struggle with that issue. Let me tell you something. It may offend you that you have a preacher and you guys can talk with the elders about this, but quite frankly, I struggle with every sin. Every one. I give it enough time. I give it enough attention. I coddle it just for a little while. I give it what it needs to grow. And one day the thing that I said I didn't struggle with is devouring me and I never saw it coming. You see, there's two examples of dealing with sin. The first example is Cain. Cain in Genesis 4, 7, God tells him, if you do what is right, remember he's thinking, I'm going to kill my brother. I'm jealous of what my brother's done, so I'm going to kill him. God gives him an incredible grace. Don't do it, Cain. If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? Meaning, I'll accept you. Just choose obedience. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Do you understand that sin is crouching at your door today? Do you know it's just waiting to have you? That it's ready to control you? That it's ready to take your life? And if you don't deal with it, if I don't deal with it, it will destroy us. Notice there was one who found victory. Moses. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, we are told that Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy, notice the word that is said, the pleasures of sin for a short time. Some of us are dumb enough to think that sin isn't pleasurable. Let me tell you the most biblical thing I know. Sin is absolutely pleasurable. For a short time, it is a whole lot of fun. And Moses said, I wanted to obey God more than pleasure the flesh. Pursue the things that made me feel good. And that's why we need accountability and we need transparency. Because if we don't, we're going to fall into the snare of sin. Notice there's a seventh reason. i got two more here. Just stick with me. The seventh reason that we fall to sin and are out of rhythm in our fight against sin is we fail to discern the power of its appeal. Listen to verses 14 through 20. Don't tell me that it's not persuasive. She seizes him and kisses him in verse 13. And with a bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices. And today I paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. Notice what she says. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband, he's not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him, and at full moon he will come home. It says, with much seductive speech she persuades him. With her smooth talk she compels him. She says, hey, I've got exactly what you're looking for. And the flirting with sin begins. Notice she offers some things. She says, I'm pure. She's completely free. She's able to say, I have committed to my vows and all that, all the while not being the thing of beauty that she advertises. Here's the thing. The Bible tells us that the devil, the father of lies and father of sin, 
masquerades himself as an angel of light. Beautiful, radiant, all the while being rotten to the core. Notice the preparation that she has. Notice sin always prepares itself for you. In my translation, I'm hoping Tyndale will pick it up, I've written this down. The woman of sin has pulled out the candles. She's lit the candles of incense. The Barry White music is playing on the iPod. She's got champagne on the rocks. She's dressed for a night of love. And everything is just right. And here's the thing about sin that you and I need to recognize. It's never caught off guard. But we are. Sin is always a trap that's set for us. Notice, it's passionate. It's alluring. Sin comes with words like, come, let us drink deep of love. Let us enjoy each other all night. You see, sin always builds itself up to a point that we get the idea that we can't live without it. I'll die if I don't have it. And then notice, it is persuasive. She led him astray with seductive words. Folks, this woman shows us what our sin and temptation can do. What an incredible power of appeal. And if we're not ready for it, we'll fall. We'll be seduced by its charms because we will fail to the eighth one, and that is we'll demand the pleasure of instant gratification. Notice the phrase in verse 22, all at once he followed her. If you fail to do the first seven things, you will fall all at once. He couldn't contain himself. He jumped at the chance. The guy wanted to be with this woman of sin. And you think, why didn't he think about it? Why didn't he stop? Well, let's think about the little fishies in the lake for a moment. They're hungry. And they see this worm before him. He's just dangling there. Now, he's been told that Fred and Bob looked at that same worm a couple weeks ago, and we haven't seen or heard of Fred or Bob for a while now. We don't know where they went. But I'm hungry, the fish says. And the, and the worm is hanging there, even though mom and dad said, be careful those wiggly worms because, man, they're trouble. But it's right there. The buffet is right before me. And he's thinking about his lunch. He's thinking about his belly. And he's thinking, man, I've got the real deal right in front of me. And instead of dealing with it and going and doing it the right way, he chomps down on the worm. And all the exhilaration changes to fear and trepidation. You see, some of us are playing games with sin right now because we want instant gratification. What do you mean you have to wait till marriage? I can have it right now. What do you mean guard your tongue? I can say what I want. I'm an adult. What do you mean I can't harbor these feelings of hatred? I have my own mind. I can make it up for myself. I will do what I want when I want. You see, we're a Burger King generation. We want to have it our way right away. But here's the thing that you need to be reminded of, church. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. Can you amen that this morning? Have you seen that truth in your life this morning? Sin wants to destroy us. And we need to recognize that because when we don't, we'll fail in our rhythm of finding uh, the rhythm in our fight with sin when we fail, number nine, to see that sin leads to our doom. It leads to our doom. Verses 22 through 27. 
Here's what it says. All at once he follows her. What happens? Where's the night of love? Where's the excitement? Where's the exhilaration? Where's all of the stuff that she's been advertising? Notice, you don't hear anything about it. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your hearts turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim has she laid low. And all her slain are a mighty throng. It means, hey, better men and women than you have fallen to these schemes. Her house is on the way to Sheol, the grave, going down to the chambers of death. Remember that fish? He focused in on his wants and desires that he didn't understand the doom that comes with just one bite. For one little shiny worm, he loses his life. For one night of passion, you can lose your marriage. For one little lie, you can lose your reputation and trustworthiness. For one moment of greed, you can end up in jail for stealing. For one moment of anger, you could hurt someone or end their lives. So what is that area that you're struggling with? What activity is that woman in Proverbs 7 for you? My advice to you is turn and run. Save yourselves. Don't look back. Because if we do, it will lead to our destruction. But here's the glorious truth. That whatever we've struggled with, whatever we've dealt with, we have a high priest who has been tempted in every way without sin. And so here's the good news. The good news is, yes, you're a sinner. And yes, when you choose sin, you're leading yourself down the road to destruction. But take heart, because there's a man who's God named Jesus. And he came that we might have life. And he, when tempted, said over and over again, it is written, it is written, it is written. And we are told that the Scripture makes it clear that when when we resist the devil, he will flee from you. So let's start resisting them this week. Let's start building the parameters that we need. Let's start bringing some people into our lives, trustworthy people who we can trust with the secret things that we're struggling with, that can hold us accountable, that can remind us of truths so that you and I can live the vibrant life, that we can find the rhythm and the strategy to fight sin and all that it involves. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for your truth this morning. And Lord, I pray, number one, that each person listening today would recognize they're a sinner. That they would recognize that they are the young man who lacks wisdom and finds themselves walking towards a life of sin. And so Lord, I pray that once we recognize that, that we would recognize that we cannot live in fellowship with you when we're living in sin. So, Lord, I pray that we would be reminded that when we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that we would do that today. In the quietness of our own hearts, we would stop and say, what I'm doing right now, what I've done this last week, God, is an affront to you, and I confess it because it is sin. And Lord, once we've confessed it, that we would not just go idly by into a new week, falling to it all the more again, 
but that we would begin to build parameters in our lives. We would begin to build safety mechanisms in our lives, whether it's a trusted friend, whether it's being filled by your Holy Spirit, whether it's opening your word on a daily basis, whatever it takes, Lord, that you have prescribed, that we would live that out in our lives so that we would bind the truths of protection onto our fingers and into our hearts. So, Lord, that we might not sin against you. Now, Lord, we don't do this so that we can tell the people in our church, look, I didn't sin this week, but so that we can live such radiant and blameless and pure lives for one reason, so that you may be given the honor and praise of changing sinners into saints. Lord, we know we can't do this apart from you, that apart from you we can do nothing. And so empower us by your Spirit as we leave this place. Because as soon as we walk out, Lord, there will be temptations, there will be struggles, and there will be traps. So Lord, as we're told to pray in your Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil is our prayer this week. So that we may honor you and find the rhythm that you have given us to enjoy life and its blessing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.